Today we focus on the abundance of God's blessing and how God fills us up and gives us everything we need and more. And the psalmist reminds us of that, saying, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. For those he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and the hungry, he fills with good things. May we rejoice and celebrate this as we sing our praises to God. Listen as I read God's word for us, the first 11 verses of chapter 2, John's Gospel. We've been transitioning in, in days, the, the last two weeks have been on particular days, and John begins by saying, on the third day, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus' mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So do the, the math, 180 gallons probably. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Jesus said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief wine steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the wine, that, the, the water that had become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. So they won't know the difference. But you have kept the good wine until now. You have saved the best for last. Jesus did this, John tells us, the first of his signs, miracles, acts of power, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they remained there a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God do a transforming work in us today as we attend to this, his word, and may we experience that for his glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that you are here right now. You're here in the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray, O oh Father, that you would send your good news, not only in word, but in power with the full assurance of your Holy Spirit 
so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, you are our redeemer. All these things we pray, Lord Jesus, in your strong name. Amen. We're looking at being filled to the brim. John points that out very specifically. Six jars, 180 gallons, filled to the brim. And I I got to thinking about why that was so significant. And I got to thinking about some things that that happened to me and probably have happened to you. And I thought we better just take a quick survey right off the bat. How many of you have ever been going somewhere and you have run out of gas. Ladies, how many of you have ever been on a date and the guy said, we've run out of gas? (laughs) It can happen. It's a real interesting thing. There's a little needle on the dashboard. It says, if it's over here, you better start thinking about taking care of that. And even on a motorcycle. There's a little fuel tap, and when you hit reserve, it goes boom, stops. And if you don't turn that, you're out of gas. But you know once it does that, Buzz, better get to the gas station, right? Well, the reason I, I bring that up is we could just as easily run off the top half of the gas tank as the bottom half, couldn't we? If it gets to about halfway, Wouldn't that be a good time to fill up? Now, I know a lot of us, when we were young, would go, well, but I don't have any money. So we drove around on a wing and a prayer, right, hoping that the fumes would somehow get us into the driveway. But here's what I, a couple of things I've learned, particularly in in these later times, in these newer days. Did you know how much you're damaging your automobile? Quick service uh, announcement here. Do you know how much you're damaging your automobile by running it off the bottom and very low, close to the end? The fuel pump is in the bottom of the gas tank and it is cooled by the gasoline. And if there's not much gasoline in there, it's, it's uncovered and it might be sloshing around. And you could do hundreds of dollars of damage by thinking, oh, I'll just a little bit farther, a little bit farther. And the same thing is true of our lives spiritually. Sweet hour of prayer. Well, I prayed, I prayed a couple days ago. I, I think I can make it to Wednesday. And we're damaging our lives rather than letting ourselves be filled up to the brim. Because here's the reality. Unlike those days when we were kids and we were trying to make gas go as far as we could because we only had enough money and we wanted to spend it on something else, Unlike those days, in our spiritual lives, the gas is free. Do you know that? God says, just stop and fill up. Just pull on over. My gas station is everywhere, on every corner, at every moment. Stop. Let me fill you up to the brim with what you need. In fact, God's the full service guy. Remember when they used to run out? There'd hold, be a whole, like a NASCAR pit crew would come out. They'd boop, boop, they're airing your tires, windshield clean, check your oil, fill up your gas. You never got out of the car. They gave you stamps, glasses, and a hat and sent you down the road. <laughs> to remember, some of you remember that. 
How'd you like it to be like that again? Huh? Oh, yeah. Well, God says, I never stopped being full service. And gas isn't even 32 cents a gallon. It's free. That's what this is about. John is pointing beyond the immediate. The other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, talk about Jesus' miracles and signs of power as his breaking into the world for that, that, mo- for that moment right now that points to the, the, the next, the greater nature. But John says, oh, it's even bigger than all that. It's cosmic. What God can do and what God is doing and who God is in Jesus Christ is bigger than all the miracles put together. And that's the question that his life asks in this particular setting and throughout John's gospel and throughout his whole life and ministry. And that is, what will we do with Jesus? Jesus is beckoning to every single one of us, saying, come on over here. Because you know what? We have put a piece of black tape over the gas gauge. We just don't even want to know what the situation is. But he knows how empty we are. And so he calls us over to be filled up. And that's what this episode is about. It's a wedding. Now, weddings are are huge events these days. And they were back then. And back then, they lasted a week. Jennifer and Travis, your wedding was cool, and it was, but it was a day. This was a week long. You guys would have been exhausted. You guys, we want to go on our honeymoon. These things lasted a week because they were a mark of something much bigger than just two people getting together. It was the joining together of, fam- of families, and more than that, it was a statement of what God has joined together. Let no one separate. And so the celebration went on and on, day in and day out. The bridegroom was in charge of the wine, at least. Mary, it turns out, might have been a caterer for this event. Cana is only about 10 miles from Nazareth. When we go to Nazareth, as our, our tour groups do, we drive right through Cana. Sometimes we've, we've even stopped there. Uh, so she's, she's maybe even in charge of this event going well. And even if she's not the caterer, these are people she knows. And she's really concerned that it not be a flop. To run out of, of wine, if you will, is like running out of gas. We can't let that happen. This thing needs to get to the finish line. We need to get to that point of, of perfect celebration. So she's being a good Jewish mom. Jesus, do something. I know who you are. Fix this. Mom. Mom. It's not time. She didn't care. Do whatever he tells you to do. You know, in, instead of saying, Jesus, um, what, what, do you think we should, what do you think should happen here? She tells him what to do. Does that sound familiar? Do we, do we ever do that? 
Lord, things aren't right. You gotta fix this. It's not gonna turn out right. We're gonna be embarrassed or disappointed or both or worse. But Jesus and Mary and the disciples were there for more than just this wedding. They were there because God had orchestrated that. What's our favorite line in the life of this congregation? Okay, good, you got it. We go nowhere by accident. They were not there by accident. This was a godly appointed event. God was going to do something big. And we need to look at that. Because there are three purposes at least in this event that touch our lives today. This is not just Sunday school, not that there's anything wrong with Sunday school, but this is not just a lesson, this is an application to our lives. See, the first thing is that this only had to happen once. What Jesus did was a statement of the permanence of who he was. There were six jars there that day. Six was equated with the number of the law. They were, those jars were filled up to the brim, Jesus said, to show the completeness of what he was going to do and who he was. The law could not accomplish it. The second thing is that those jars were, they were not wedding ornaments. They, they were jars of purification. By the way, it's, it points out they were stone jars. Why, did, why does that point it out? Because if you know anything about earthen jars, they absorb things. And if they absorb things, they can absorb crud. That's a, the Greek word. Um, <laughs> that could become very infectious. These are jars for purification, so they're stone because nothing can p- penetrate them. And they are there to show us that they are there for cleansing. John tells us that the first thing that Jesus does to truly show who he is after the prologue is to do a cleansing. He fills jars up with that which will cleanse. He uses cleansing jars to the brim. And he does this right before, and we'll go this to the next in a few weeks, he does this right before he goes into the temple. And when he goes into the temple, he goes to clean house, to cleanse. So he's showing that his life is an encircling of us with his perfect love. He identifies what needs to happen in our lives, and then he comes and he does it. He pours himself into us, into our everyday ordinariness, into our one-talent lives, like Jesus talked about. And he fills us to overflowing with who he is and changes that which is contaminated into that which is rich and life-giving. And the third thing is that, that this is a statement of the transcending of the law. Six jars, six jars. What's the number of perfection in Hebrew thinking? Seven, right. He, be, he fills them to overflowing to say, I am the seventh jar. I transcend all your efforts to try to make yourselves clean. John Stott says of this, the picture of the wedding, the picture of the kingdom as a wedding feast has wide biblical support. We know that in, if you know the book of Revelation, what's going to be the last thing that happens? 
the wedding feast of the Lamb, where God brings us to the table to consummate our union. The church is called the Bride of Christ. So the, the wedding feast is a perfect metaphor for what God says needs to happen between God and humanity. For, Stott says, for all the reality of the struggles of faith, for all the pains of the world and the warfare of kingdom, Jesus continues to invite us to celebrate with him. That's what he's doing at this wedding. This is not just a wedding party. This is a statement of previews of coming attractions. As I said, there were, there were six jars for purification, and that's the law. But the law can't make us whole. And that's why Jesus says, bring those over here. I want you to see that that which you've been trying to do, that is, is not going to make it work. I'm going to not only fill these to overflowing, I'm going to change what's inside them. The law is not enough. I will be what's inside. Fill them to overflowing because that's what he wants to do with you and me. That's what Jesus Christ wants to do with you and me. He wants us running around. I think it was a Jackson Brown running on empty. He does not want us running around wondering if that needle's going to bury itself and we're going to be stranded in Tonopah. There's a thought. He wants that needle pegged all the way to the right. And this is very interesting, symbolism. You notice in the Bible, not only is the wedding feast often used as a statement of God's all-consuming love, but he talks about the right and the left. To be on the right is grace. To be on the left is judgment. To be on the left is to show what's missing. There's where our, our fuel needles are, all the way to the left. All the way to the right is grace that says abundance. And that's what he wants to do. Jesus wants us to belong to him as his bride forever and ever, without interruption, without question, without there being, well, what about maybe we should? No, all the way to the right, forever. And only he can do that. So the question about our presence at this wedding, the question we need to ask is what part of us needs to be filled to overflowing? What part of me needs to be married to Jesus Christ that isn't there now? And along with this, we need to ask ourselves, this is really important, with what have we been trying to fill our jars? What have we been trying to put in place of what only God can do? Paul says, we have this treasure, our relationship with God, he says, in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels, remember what I said? They get contaminated with that Greek word, remember, crud? We get that. He says, we have this treasure, our relationship with God, in earthen vessels, contaminated contaminatable vessels to show that the transcendent power, the cosmic power, belongs to God and not to us. He brings us into relationship with himself. And this wedding calls us to get, therefore, beyond thinking, we can make ourselves complete by being married to the world. And that's what happens to us very subtly. We get married to the world. We get wed. We use that language. We're wed to a particular way of thinking and acting and behaving and hoping 
and looking for solutions and we keep pouring things into our lives thinking, oh, this is going to just be perfect. I'll give you a real good example. We're in Nevada, so I can make fun of the Oregonians. If there are any Oregonians here, I apologize. I'm married to one, so... Um, but most of you know, if you visited Oregon, up until very recently, you were not allowed to pump your own gas. It sounds great, right? Well, and, and you know also that Oregon is very green. And I don't just mean the trees and the rain and everything. We're there, hyper uh, in, environmental. And that's, that's not a bad thing, but everybody's very, very green. They don't put straws in their Starbucks coffee and all that. Uh, <laughs> Recently, they changed the law in Oregon to where now it's up to you to pump your own gas. Nobody had ever done it. It had been years. They'd never done it. And so for the first week, all these environmentally conscious Oregonians pulled up and they saw the green hose. <laughs> well, that must be the environmentally friend friendly gas. And I'll put that in my car. <laughs> and a third, and a third of, uh, of Oregonians were driving around with, for a few miles with diesel fuel in their gas tanks. Well, I tell, tell that very mean-spirited story uh, <laughs> to illustrate that we do the same thing. We think, oh, look, it's green. It must be great. I, it, it'll just be perfect. I'll put it inside me. And clank, clank, bang, bang. We're in big trouble, folks. Houston, we got a problem here. Because we're trying to, to fill ourselves up with that which is never, it was never meant to go in there. It just never, never meant to be this way. And, and we might think, oh, well, I'll just, I'll squirt some gasoline in now and it'll be, it'll be fine. No, it's gotta be emptied and purged and cleansed. And that's what Jesus is saying. He comes to the wedding feast. He says, if we're going to get married, and we are, he says, we're going to have to cleanse this. We're going to have to purge it. So fill these jars to the brim. Fill them to the brim. We think we're going to clank around on empty. And Jesus is saying, I've saved the best for last. Trust me. Trust me. Go with me on this. Yesterday we had um, Maureen's service here, and uh, Pastor Louie shared a, a story that, uh, a, that had taken place in Maureen's life that uh, Paul and Cheryl had beautifully recounted. And it turns out that, that Maureen uh, woke in the night, and she was very worried, as we all can be, and, and, and kind of having a little bit of a delusional thing. And, she was worried about her, her stuff and how it was going to be taken care of and what would Cheryl get and what would Lisa get and what would the grandkids get and how would her things be taken care of and would, would that all work out? And then she just realized it didn't matter. And in her dream, she gathered everything up and threw it into the ocean. <laughs> and then she woke up and she went into the kitchen and did what any right-minded person would do. She got out the Oreos and the milk and she sat down. <laughs> and Paul and Cheryl get up and, and, and they say, what are you doing? She says, I'm having Oreos and milk. And I want you to sit down and join me because I've just realized this is the only thing that matters. 
family and Oreos and milk and life. And she was at the wedding feast. And we can be too. See, this was changing water into wine. Yesterday we joked about changing our communion uh, to, to uh, Oreos and milk. I don't know if we'll actually go there, but... <laughs> but that was changing water into wine. I, I mean, l- Jesus literally turned that water into wine. But in that moment, what Maureen experienced is what we all need to experience. Is that God wants to wake us up and show us to just throw all those things that we're holding on to into the ocean and take hold of what he wants to give us. What do we need to let be thrown, each of us, all of us? What do we need to allow to be thrown into the ocean or what do we personally need to throw into the ocean so that there's room inside of us to be filled up to the brim? Now, I suspect that there is much we are holding on to that is taking up space, whether we realize it or not. And, and the reality is, we got diesel fuel de- stuff down inside us, and we are not meant to run on that stuff. But that diesel fuel is characterized by things like bitterness, fear, anxiousness, resentment. They didn't do it my way. Control. What if it, what if it doesn't happen this way? And Jesus wants to cleanse us and purge us and fill us up He wants to transform us by changing our meager efforts of trying to do it right or even do it our way, the law, to gospel. From our efforts to his grace, from our water to his poured out blood because in case you missed it, that's exactly what those jars were really filled up with to the brim. Jesus' blood poured out to transfuse us and make us clean. But what if? What if we miss this because we are too sure that things never quite go right unless we make them go right? Martin Luther said of this a long time ago, God's wonderful works which happen daily are lightly esteemed. Water is being turned into wine every day and we miss it. The sun comes up. The stars come out. We breathe, our bodies work, people are kind to us. And they're lightly esteemed, not because they are of no import, but because, Luther says, they happen so constantly and without interruption, we take them for granted. Maureen's dream of being turned from one to the other was realizing the only thing that matters is that which God gives every day. Luther says, We are used to the miracle that God rules the world and upholds creation, that gravity works. And because things daily run their appointed course, they seem insignificant. And no one thinks it worth their while to meditate upon it and regard it as God's wonderful work. And yet, he says, it is a great wonder We find it a great wonder. In fact, we even question whether Jesus really turned water into wine. The sun comes up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess God did it, but whatever. But if we say God turned water into wine, God took a broken person and made them whole, and we go, really? 
There's our problem. How do we need to be emptied in order to be filled up today so that we don't take for granted the miracle that God wants to be doing in every one of our lives? Uh, Pastor Brian Chapel, who I really admire, asked a really good question. He said, what would it mean for us today if we were willing to ask anything but yield everything? What if we were willing to ask anything but yield whatever Jesus says? Okay, I want to do that for you. You need to let go of this so there's room for me to do it. He says our temptation is to say if we are dealing with the Son of God who can bring down lightning and can create earthquakes on demand, then we better not bother Jesus with the little stuff. We better not ask him to make our kids settle down. We better not ask him to shape us. But even the Apostle Paul says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests be made known to God. Jesus does that. He hears that prayer in everything. Now he says, as we do this, so, so it is always that we we would be seeing Jesus Christ. Jesus did this. He says, Lord, not my will, your will be done. There's being filled up to the brim. Lord, I, I, I want to be filled up with this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. But Jesus teaches us, be emptied of all of those things so you can be filled up with the everything that God has. So that is what we are to do as faithful believers. Jesus is not saying that there are things that are too small. We bring to Jesus our wedding embarrassment. Lord, what are we going to do about this? I don't have money to pay my taxes. I don't have money for a birthday present for my grandkids. I don't have, you name it. Jesus wants to deal with what we think is lacking. We bring to him family embarrassments and weakness and pain and trouble and things we think are beneath him because they're due to our guilt and shame that, that says, ask me anything, but do as you do, so yield everything I am to you. It's the king of heaven who wants to fill us up. He wants to give us everything we've ever needed. And he says nothing is too small, and no need is too small. He says, I want to take over. If we put things into his hands, he will. May we give him our marriages. May we give him our aging. May we give him our fears. May we give him our singleness. May we give him our children and our grandchildren. May we give him our anger and our resentment and our fear and our bitterness and all of those things that are taking up room for the wine of his presence that he wants to pour into us in great abundance. And may we let it happen for God's glory so that we are filled to the brim and overflowing. My cup runneth over for God's glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are such a practical God, and we praise you for the cosmic nature of what you showed us by coming in person, that you are here to take care of our everyday things, but you are here in a far greater way to take us to a place we could never go, to be who we could never be, to change us from water into wine. We praise you for your shed blood. 
We pray for open hearts to receive that gift, to be agents of sharing that with a world that doesn't know it. And we pray it would all happen for your glory. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, you can turn your cell phones back on now, and you can add Jesus to your contact list and let him call you every day. Block all the others. Because remember, he's got a plan for us. We go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, takes up residence in us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we rejoice in this and go joyfully in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who equips us, in the love of God the Father who spared nothing to save us, in the joy and inspiration and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.